Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you were socialized as a woman. Around here, we're all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode number 34. Hello, hello, and welcome. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Today, I'm sharing my interview with Amelia Pleasant-Kennedy. She and I met when we were in the Advanced Certification of Feminist Coaching. In today's conversation, we're talking all about equitable division of household labor, organizational mastery, and of course, all of this through a feminist lens. We talk about the biggest clutter struggle for women in midlife, caregiving and being part of the sandwich generation and how to balance all of that. We talk about equitable division of household labor and the fair play method and how all of that works. And we talk about some of the biggest obstacles that we come across at this stage in life. So before I share the interview, I want to share Amelia's professional bio. Amelia Pleasant Kennedy is a certified life coach, professional organizer, and fair play facilitator. She helps women who are frazzled, busy, and overworked uncover the root cause of their current lifestyle behaviors in order to permanently eliminate clutter in their homes and their life. With a keen ability to listen for what goes unsaid, Amelia coaches from a space of total curiosity and non-judgment so that clients build a deep sense of self-trust. Amelia is the president of the Michigan chapter of the National Association of Productivity and Organization Professionals, She is also an active member of the Life Coach School coaching community, the Institute for Challenging Disorganizations, Black Girls Who Organize, and the National Association of Black Professional Organizers. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Amelia. All right. Welcome, Amelia. Thank you so much for being here with us on Perimenopology. I am so glad to be here with you. It's been a while since we've chatted. You and I are advanced certification and feminist coaching alumni, and we were in the small group together where we got to coach together. And my memory of working with you was that I was just so consistently amazed by your brain. I just love the way you look at things and the way you ask questions and the way you coach. It was such a pleasure to get to know you in that context. And I'm really excited to have you back here today. So first, can you tell us about how you got into doing the work that you do? And also tell us a little bit about what the work is. Well, I am so flattered by your comments. Uh, Yes. So I was a stay-at-home mother for a solid decade. I have three children. And I launched my in-home organizing business in 2019. So professional organization, decluttering, all the beautification. Yet I noticed as I was going into women's homes that there was this layer of mental and emotional clutter underneath the surface. So I identified very much with my clients because of all that I was doing in my own home. 
I am also a caregiver for my mother who is living with dementia. And when I launched my business, 2019, 2018, were when her signs and symptoms were starting to show. So I was also entering the sandwich generation at that point. And I love listening. I love connecting the dots. And so I went ahead all in on this coaching around clutter. Because I truly believe that what we see on the outside is a reflection of what's happening internally. Our internal self-talk, how we see our space, the standards and expectations that we set for ourselves, as well as the messages that we've just received throughout life about what it means to be a good human, to be a good partner, to be a good professional, caretaker, manager of a household. So in 2020, I switched to full-time coaching and I help people permanently eliminate clutter in their homes and lives. So that's mental, that's emotional, that's physical, of course, and uh, scheduling time management as well, all stemming from these deep, long-held beliefs that we have around what it means to be productive within our homes. Oh my goodness. I love all of this so much. I feel like there are so many directions that this conversation can take us. As you were talking, I was thinking about my own home and how I really just operate better when my house is clutter-free. I find that my nervous system is just so much more at ease. And I think I've always been that way, but I really figured out that, you know, if I can take 10 minutes just to kind of organize and tidy up a little bit, then everything else just really settles for me. And so that was really interesting to notice about myself and also how all of that kind of meshes with the fact that I live with other humans in my house. So I can't wait to talk to you about all of this. But first, I want to ask you, what is the biggest struggle with clutter that you see women in midlife facing? Yes. So... um A hundred percent, I would say the feeling and pressure of having to do it all. We receive so many messages, women, socialized as women, we're raised to notice what needs to be done, anticipate others' um, thoughts and feelings and make them feel comfortable. We are, thinking that we have to show up 100% at work, clean our homes and organize it to a space of almost perfection. And it's just, a, a, it's too heavy of a weight for us to carry. It, it's impossible to reach these standards that we see across social media about what a clean and tidy home looks like and live um, a healthy, normal, fulfilling life. So the main struggle that I see is thinking that we have to be a 10 in every area of our life. We can't 
manage that all at the same time. I love that. And it's such an interesting thing to think about is what does it even mean to be a 10? And can we redefine what it means to be a 10? And can that change over a lifetime? And I think even just paying attention to that question can really help shift your mindset. And I love what you said about, you referred to social media. And I talked about that a lot on the podcast here, where when we see social media, it's just one aspect of a person's life. But I think what I'm starting to see more and more now, and this might be just in my feed, everybody's algorithm is going to be a little bit different, but I'm loving those reels where people with lifestyle blogs or they have very beautiful lives will actually give you a panned out view of what it looks like outside of the square of Instagram that's on their screen. And they'll actually show you, well, here's what the sink full of dishes actually looks like as I'm shooting this Instagram video. And it's so real. And I just love that. Yes. Life will always happen. And as a person working in the field of organizing and productivity, I fully recognize that often what we promote is this idealized version of what a home should look like. Mm -hmm. But what I often talk about with clients is that the state of your home does not correlate at all with your self-worth, right? Those are two separate things because we get caught up thinking that if our not just if our house is a mess, but like that we have to do a certain amount of tidying before having people over or that things aren't working as smoothly as they should, that it's a reflection on who we are. And that's just not true. We're all operating from a different space. As you mentioned, we're going through different seasons of our lives where our priorities are on caring for an aging parent or going all in on a project at work. It's not 100% on laundry or bins and baskets and how uh, tidy the home is. And yes, less visual clutter does like calm the nervous system. You're correct in the science for that, but it's finding a healthy space at any given time for where you are and, and who you are. I love that. I resonate with so many of the the socialized beliefs and thoughts that you just named there, how your home is a reflection of your inherent human worth or even your morality. There's a lot of equating how good of a person you are with how the inside of your home your home looks. It's so interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the idea of the sandwich generation. I think that a lot of my listeners are at that age. Just for anybody who doesn't know what the sandwich generation is, can you explain what that term is? Yes. So I'm a card-carrying member. (laughs) It's when you have children or uh, individuals at home that you're caring for. And then in addition to that, Um, an aging parent or someone who is unwell that is uh, just a bit older than you. Okay. I imagine that that means that there are a lot more directions that a person can be pulled in and a lot more people who genuinely need your time and your energy and your brain, the space in your brain. So 
How does being part of that sandwich generation play into the work that you do? Tell me about that. Yeah. So what it looks like is often managing multiple households. So my mother is living with dementia and we decided early on in conversation that she would live independent from me. Sometimes the parent moves in, right? But it is, I have legal, I'm her legal responsible party. So it's managing her finances, her appointments, all the things that you would traditionally do for your own household, but just adding another member or another set of members, doctor's appointments, um, travel arrangements, emails, phone conversations. And that adds to the mental load that we carry around. So not only am I having to think about myself and my own home and the way it's operating, but also what she needs, um, which I'm happy to do. But when you're in the sandwich generation, it's adding another layer to that mental uh, soundtrack in your mind each week, keeping it all straight. I'm sure that a lot of people who are listening can resonate with that idea. What are some of the challenges that you see coming up for your clients who are in this position? Yes, it's it's exactly that. It's managing multiple threads and streams and dedicating time and attention to each so that they're not all mixed up and blended together. So when you have to set aside a portion of your week to get groceries for a loved one or take time to take them to an appointment, it's not only impacting your weekly schedule, but then taking into account all of the the missteps that it can occur. <laughs> normal life. Yeah, that can occur when other humans are involved in the equation. Exactly, exactly. Which brings up a point that I wanted to chat with you about today, which is that there are inevitably other humans that are involved in these interactions and these life situations. And I'm thinking specifically about partners that people are living with. And I'm coming from a heteronormative context. Um, so I'm, I identify as a woman and I'm married to somebody who identifies as a man. And I think that there's a lot of inherent gender dynamics that are built into equitable division of the household labor and managing all these things. And I would assume that if you have somebody else's household to take care of that ups the stakes even more, a, th- a very common theme that I hear from folks that I talk to about this subject matter is that there's this whole layer of emotional labor and organizational labor and household labor that usually falls on the shoulders of the woman identifying partner. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are on all of that and what advice you could give people to kind of begin to unpack all of that. I know it's a big subject, but mm-hmm. you know, what would you like <laughs> what would you like to offer? Yeah, for sure. I became a certified fair play method facilitator in 2021. So this is a topic that is near and dear to me because I experienced it in my own home. And now that I work with clients around this topic as well. 
The mental load is exactly what we were saying, the noticing, the anticipating, the keeping track of. And most of us who are socialized as women were in, like taught these skills, even though we might not recognize it. And what that leads to is a brain that just doesn't turn off. The soundtrack, the loop, it keeps going. And what the fair play method in particular does is it is a way of having a conversation with your partner to rebalance the tasks, the chores, the home responsibilities in a way that aligns with your particular family values. So it starts by identifying exactly what, who does what, and um, identifying who does what, and why those particular tasks, chores, responsibilities are really valued within your own home. So once we understand the humanity behind what we do, then we're on a little bit more neutral playing field to decide how to divide the tasks and teach others how to um, complete them from conceiving of the task and then planning and executing it. Uh, that's so fascinating. And what I'm hearing you say is that it is an intentional decision that has to be made as a partnership. So both parties are fully engaged in this decision-making process. Whereas I think a lot of the people that I talk to who are the people who are socialized as women or in that role in the home, they just kind of almost want their partners to just know that they need them to do things. Because a lot of the time I'll have conversations with people and they'll they'll say, oh, my partner didn't do this and they never do this and I want them to do this. And I'll say, well, did you ask them to do it? And they'll say, well, no. <laughs> so well, what you're pointing out is that the key feelings often underneath are resentment, irritation, guilt, and shame. So it is mental work to delegate to someone else. So most of us, part of that irritation comes from not even wanting to talk to or teach another person in the household how to do the task. Because that in and of itself seems like work. Um, so it's taking a step back and identifying the why behind the task and responsibility and deciding that we both value it so that, uh, yes, the teaching has to occur, but it, it, it is that process of passing along the conception of, the noticing, the anticipating. That's truly what we want from our partner is to notice what's missing out of the pantry add it to the grocery list, go to the store and get the items, maybe even the specific brand that we typically buy, right? It's not us as the default um, noticer in the home to create the grocery list and then just hand it over and delegate the execution. It's 
the conceiving of, it's the thinking about, it's that mental load behind it all. And that's why we call it invisible. Wow. That has given me so much to think about. But what comes to the forefront of my mind is this this thought that, yeah, that sounds like a big investment in time and energy up front, but it's one of those investments that'll just keep on giving you return after return after return and seeing the long-term benefit of going through that process with somebody just totally makes sense to me. Yes, I totally agree. Because when we think of young children as parents, often our goal is to raise organized, healthy, thoughtful, self-sufficient human beings that can go out into the world and not only do for themselves, but contribute to a household. So this method in particular is all about, yes, investing the time and energy, just one conversation, one chore or task at a time, not tackling the whole household, but just passing along one responsibility. What it allows the couple to do is have the second partner pick up and run with any chore responsibility. If the other partner is sick, ill, unable to, anything happens. I love that. Now, I want to run something by you, which was my experience. And I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. So when I originally met my husband, and this was close to 15 years ago, I took one look at his bachelor apartment and I thought, oh, I don't know if I can do this because it was just full of clutter, just (laughs) full of clutter. Like you think about the stereotypical meme of a bachelor pad and that was my husband's bachelor apartment to the T. So I kind of knew that there might have to be some meeting in the middle between the two of us because I like, I've always liked to have a very clean home. That's just naturally how I'm oriented. And of course, I'm socialized as a woman. So there's all of that stuff under there too. So I've come to this place where there are certain things that are instead of putting the effort into working it out with him, I've just accepted that if I want something done to my level of standards, it's probably easier and better for me to just do it myself. So I'll take making the bed, for example. I like hotel corners. I like a very smooth bed every morning. It just makes me feel amazing every time I walk into my bedroom to see my duvet lined up perfectly corner to corner. That just makes my soul feel very relaxed. But We spent a lot of years in my marriage with me being very resentful of my husband that he couldn't get the corners quite right and the bed just didn't look as smooth. And so I made a conscious decision at one point to to just say, I'm just going to be the one who makes the bed every day. And by making that decision, I renounce being able to be resentful because he tried (laughs) and it wasn't enough. So I just decided that I was going to be the one who does it. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that side of the coin, Amelia. It's it's so great that you shared that, right? Because what we do when we divide up chores and responsibilities and have that conversation is twofold. 
First, we identify a minimum standard for any particular chore or task. We're like, this is what clean means. This is what done means. This is what making the bed means. And the two partners decide together what the absolute bare minimum is for that task. Now, there are certain chores or responsibilities that one partner will like to do or value even more than the other partner. And what the game allows us to do is say, hey, this task is really important to me. My partner could care less. But because it is important to me, I am owning the conception, the planning, and execution of this task start to finish. And if my partner loves doing holiday cards, then they are responsible of taking on that task beginning to end, and I'll just show up for the photos, right? It's, it's balancing both tasks that we both value and tasks that we individually value and take full ownership and responsibility over. So I love that. You blended coaching and, <laughs> and uh, um, conversation right there. So fun. So it sounds like that's exactly the kind of place that you help your clients get to when you're working with them. That's so amazing. So I know in your work, you talk about reclaiming the unicorn space. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. So that was also a concept conceived by Eve Rodsky in her book. She wrote a book called How to Reclaim Your Right to Be Interesting for Unicorn Space. And that's all about what we sort of might be missing from midlife, right? Our personal passion, something that we love to do just for the sake of fun and joy and pleasure. Because when we're carrying the mental load, when we're doing everything for everyone, which we're hoping that we're stepping away from, right? We do need time for ourselves. So not just to go to the spa or to the gym, but to do something creative that lights us up from the inside. So it's about curiosity. It's about self-compassion and claiming time within your own schedule to do that free of guilt and shame. I love that idea. It's not easy though. It's I talk to so many of my clinical patients who are coming to see me for perimenopausal symptoms, insomnia, hot flashes, whatever it is. And nervous system regulation is such a huge part of how our perimenopausal symptoms present in our own unique and individual bodies. And so a common question that I often ask my clinical patients is, do you have any hobbies? What do you do just for the sake of pleasure in your life. And I'm usually met with this deadpan stare. That's like, well, what do you mean? I don't do anything like that. Yeah. So I love this idea of giving ourselves permission to have that time just for the sake of pleasure and doing something that lights us up without the guilt. And to be a hundred percent fair, um, not only that how a coach can support you or a therapist, but like having space to think about 
what you want, to remember what you loved, to give yourself permission to try a bunch of things and see what fuels you and lights you up is almost necessary before settling into a routine of unicorn space, right? There's a little bit of pre-work of reconnecting to just yourself outside of the role of being a partner, outside of the role of being a professional, outside of the role of being perimenopausal, (laughs) That, that experience. Yeah, that's everything. Right. Sometimes we just have to do a little work of like, oh, yeah, what do I like to do? Yeah. I actually have an example from my family. My mother, her mother, so my grandmother moved in with her a few years ago after my grandfather passed away, has moderate dementia. And the decision was not to put her in long term care. So she lives with my mom. And grandma went down for a couple of months to stay with my uncle in Florida for the winter. And my mother, after two years of a full-time caregiving gig and also running her business, was just left with all of these questions like, oh, well, what do I actually like? What actually gives me pleasure? What do I want to spend my time doing? And she let me know that it was so odd and interesting and almost emotional for her to answer these questions for herself. And I imagine that's a really common theme because like you said, we're so deeply identified as a mother, as a partner, as a spouse, as a daughter, as a lawyer, as a doctor, you know, whatever our profession is. And we don't take a lot of time to think about, well, what about if it's just, if I'm thinking about me, who am I? What do I like? You're spot on. Fully agree. So good. I love that. So I just know that there are going to be so many people listening who want more of this goodness that you're talking about. So what I want to ask you first is to please tell us about your podcast and where people can find you and what you're working on right now. I would love to. I launched a podcast called A Pleasant Solution, Embracing an Organized Life, where I discuss many of the things mentioned here. Uh, I talk about managing multiple households, just getting organized from a mental and mindset approach rather than just bins and boxes, creating an aligned and sustainable lifestyle. Um, You can reach me via my website, which is apleasantsolution.com, and I offer workshops. So that's what I'm working on right now. My upcoming workshop is How to Permanently Eliminate Clutter and Instagram, A Pleasant Solution. Amazing. I will make sure that I link all of this up in the show notes so people can click it and find it easily. Amelia, before we say goodbye... If somebody was just getting started thinking about division of the household labor and organization, what's one piece of advice that you'd like to give them to get started? One piece of advice I would give would be to take a moment to look inwards and ask yourself the question, what do I want? Whether you're journaling or taking a walk, that self-reflection will give you time to best understand what it is that you most desire, and it'll give you a foundation or a place to invite someone in your home to share the load, invite someone in your home to participate 
in keeping the house a little bit more organized or tidy, or just simply on your own to take the first next step with a drawer or a closet or an area that's right in front of you and start making decisions. Thank you. I love that so much. It's like starting with yourself, answering those questions, and then just using that as your compass to design everything else around that. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Amelia, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your time and your wisdom so generously. I will make sure that I link all of the uh, links up in the show notes so people can find you. And uh, let's have you back again to talk about this. It's a big subject. Absolutely. It was an honor. So that was my interview with Amelia. I just love her brain so much. If our conversation resonated with you, please find and follow her. All of the links are in the show notes. That's going to be it for me this week. Until next time, thanks for listening. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person, to help you find a unique and customized treatment plan to alleviate your perimenopausal symptoms and get you the relief you deserve using Chinese medicine. Or if you're looking for support with body image, confidence, advocating for yourself and seeking treatment, or just generally making your life as awesome as possible through this transition and beyond, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellekapler.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Mm -hmm.